Hey, real quick, a couple of announcements. Uh, some of you have been asking uh, about the Net Bible that I use. We now, for those of you that don't know, have this in our bookstore. Uh, we have the study edition of the Net Bible. We have the reader's edition. We also have a compact edition, a uh, smaller version of that in our Cornerstone bookstore. If you would like a copy of that, uh, we would certainly encourage you to do that as well. Also, don't forget that if you miss a Tuesday night and you want to listen, uh, that uh, these are on podcasts and you can listen on your iPod to any Tuesday night. We tape these every Tuesday night and uh, certainly that's available to you as well. Uh, just another encouragement as we come tonight and get started in a new year, that obviously being here in the auditorium, we've got lots of room to grow and I would just like to encourage you, and many of you have already done that to starting tonight, invite family, friends, you know, whoever, you know, uh, neighbors, whatever, co-workers, people that you go to school with or whatever, invite them to come with you on Tuesday night. We would love to fill up this room as uh, much as possible and just see what God's going to do this coming year. Hey, um, we have at this moment uh, probably about... 350 or so names on our email list. Uh, in fact, just out of curiosity, raise your hand if you got Mike's email about our starting back up. All right. A lot of you, but not all of you. Uh, I'm going to ask Mike Haddish to come now. Mike's the guy that runs our website for the mine, and he just has a real quick announcement uh, for you guys tonight. Uh, and really, if you've never checked out the website, one of the things that we're going to be doing on the website this year is uh, sharing some steps of our spiritual growth. Many people ask me, you know, how do I grow as a Christian? What are some steps I can take to get more out of my Bible study and all that? We're going to be posting those on the web every couple of weeks. So just keep check, checking back, and we hope to you, help you guys use that as a resource for your spiritual growth and for growing in your understanding of the Lord. Well, also uh, this year, again, we are so glad to have Seth back with us, leading us in worship. Yeah. And it's good to have Phil uh, here again this year, too, who's going to be doing keyboards. We're glad to have both these guys here. So, yeah, let's show our appreciation to them. And uh, let's just worship the Lord together this evening, shall we? Lord God, we thank you for, for your grace, Lord, and for your love and your mercy. And... Um, God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you so much for Jeff and uh, for the time and effort he puts into this, God. And, uh, and just for a moment that we have as a body, God, to come together and to learn about you. God, I pray that you would bless us tonight. You would give us wisdom. You would help us to learn what it is that your word has to offer us so that we may use it to make decisions in our life, God, and be more wise in seeing your will in our lives, Lord. I pray that... Uh, and we would just leave tonight with an abundance of you. And we wouldn't help, couldn't help but love each other and serve one another, God, and just do the things that you've asked us to do and called us to do. Lord, it's in your holy and precious name that we pray tonight. Amen. You guys can be seated. Amen. Thank you, Seth and Phil. Wonderful worship tonight. Thank you all. Yes. Yes. And we certainly want Tuesday evening to be such an encouragement to you folks that when you come, that when you leave here, you leave here feeling lifted up, refreshed, revived by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. 
And uh, we hope to accomplish that again this, this year in the mind. The book of Ephesians is where we're going to be tonight. You have your Bibles and you want to follow along. The book of Ephesians. In the New Testament, it's sort of in the middle. You have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians all there together, all written by the Apostle Paul. The book of Ephesians. And tonight, as we start our study of Ephesians, we want to deal with just a couple of minutes of introductory remarks, but I think things that will resonate with all of us, because we want to sort of get the bigger picture before we start to take the book of Ephesians under the microscope and look at it more closely and in more depth. When we studied the book of Romans last semester, the book of Romans talked about what a life defined by God looks like. If, if someone was to surrender their life to God and, and would allow God to define their life, here's what a life defined by God would look like. That's what Romans is about. Ephesians is very similar for this reason. The book of Ephesians basically answers the, quest, the question... What is a church defined by God? What does that look like? If a body of believers, if, if a local church would just let God come in and, and let Him work in that group of believers, what would that church look like? What would a church defined by God look like? How would it act? What would it pursue? What would be its priorities? These are all answered in the book of Ephesians. In fact, when, when folks ask me, Pastor Jeff, what kind of church should I be looking for? Say they even like they, they move away from Chandler and they've come to Cornerstone and they're going to some other part of the country. I say, you know, one of the best things you can do is read and study the book of Ephesians and find out what kind of church being defined by God looks like and then ask God to, to, to lead you to that kind of a church. And that's what the book of Ephesians is all about. What, what is church? We, we hear all kinds of definitions and we have all of our own maybe opinions and understandings of what church is all about. Well, when we come to the book of Ephesians, we're going to find out what God thinks church should be. The second thing is this. This book was written to Christians in the, the town of Ephesus. Ephesus was one of the great ancient cities of the ancient world. It was one of the largest cities it was a port city, so there was, there was people from all over the world that was coming in and out of Ephesus and coming through Ephesus. If you had a message to get out to the world and you could get it down deep in Ephesus, you could send that message all over the known world at that time. And Ephesus had the privilege of having one of the seven ancient wonders of the world right there in Ephesus. The great temple of Diana. In fact, many historians back in that day, if you read their writings, they will tell you that out of all the ancient wonders of the world, and many of them saw with their own eyeballs the hanging gardens of Babylon, the great pyramids of Egypt, the temple uh, of Zeus where the, the great statue of Zeus at Olympia was there. They saw the Colossus at Rhodes. They saw the, the lighthouse. All the great wonders of the world that many of them will tell you that all of them were a shadow compared to the temple of Diana at Ephesus. It was to, to most historians, to most people in that culture and in that time living, it was the greatest of the seven wonders 
of the world. And the reason I think that's important as far as a historical background to what Paul is writing to these Ephesian Christians is about is because maybe the Ephesian Christians felt like, man, we got nothing compared to the temple of Diana. You know, we, we got nothing to show for that. We're, we're not even maybe meeting in some magnificent temple. You know, we're just trying to get together and house churches and worship God. And one great truth that Paul is reminding all of us about is that the eternal realities that we have through Jesus Christ far surpass any ancient wonder that the earth could ever imagine. Because they're eternal. And they will last forever. And there is no end to our being able to enjoy them and and, and to gain from them. In fact, That's exactly what Paul says, if you notice, in verse 3 of chapter 1, when he says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. That as you look down on earth, maybe there's nothing to match the temple of Diana. But we've got things that far surpass the temple of Diana in heaven, and you and I are going to be able to enjoy them forever and ever. And that's what we need to focus on. And that certainly is true. Because those folks living back then would have never believed that thousands of years later, as we sit here in Chandler, Arizona today, there is no Ephesus. Ephesus has been a pile of rubble for hundreds of years. And the temple of Diana has been in rubble for 1,700 years years. doesn't even exist anymore. And so those things that seemed so magnificent and so, you know, beyond human comprehension, all those things will last forever. They're not even around anymore. In fact, 800 years after the temple of Diana was laid in ruins, 800 years after that, people who even still lived in Ephesus didn't even know that a temple of Diana existed. And so Paul is saying, folks, let's not get all enamored with all these transitory, temporary things that earth offers. Let's get our focus on the eternal realities that are locked away in heaven that are never going to fade away. They're never going to get old. They're never going to be torn down. And we are going to be able to be a part of those eternal realities forever and ever. The other thing I'd like to say by way of introduction is this. I think it's important to know that when you come to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is one of several letters in the New Testament that we would call a prison letter, meaning that Paul was writing this as a prisoner of Rome. He was born a Jew, but he had become a Roman citizen like many people at that time. And so as Rome arrested him for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, he was appealing to Rome about his sentence and he was awaiting to see how that appeal was going to go. So he was under house arrest in Rome awaiting what Caesar would say about him being a prisoner and would he continue to be a prisoner. And the reason why that's important is because here's a man who's in prison. He's in chains. In fact, in chapter 4 of Ephesians, he says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
In chapter 6, verse 20, he says, I'm an ambassador for, in chains for Christ. And here's an amazing letter of encouragement and refreshment. And it's coming from a man who personally, his circumstances, you and I would probably say, stink at that moment. But here was a man who had learned through his relationship with God and through his spiritual growth not to be controlled by his circumstances and not to allow his circumstances to define who he was and where he was and what he was, but to allow his relationship with God to be the sole definition of where his life was. So keep that in mind. As you read this, you're reading a letter from a prisoner. In fact, then as we go into chapter 1, look at how Paul introduces this letter. First of all, one of the unique things you'll find as you study the New Testament is in that culture back then, unlike today, when we write a letter, we usually, or I shouldn't even say that anymore, right? Email, right? We don't write letters anymore out by hand, do we? But when we write correspondence to someone, we always put our name at the end. In that culture, they put the name right at the beginning. And I think one reason why was because they believed that just seeing a certain person's name was an encouragement. And just seeing a certain person's name may determine whether you open the letter or not. I mean, let's face it. If we got a letter from certain people and even we saw who the return address was from, sorry, ain't reading that today. But there are certain people in our life because of the relationship we have with them and because we know that this is going to be encouraging, that when we see that, it's like, oh, this is a letter from so-and-so. I, I can't wait to open it up and see what they have to say. And I think that's significant here because I think the Ephesian Christians were thinking, What's happening with Paul? Is everything okay with him? Is he still alive? And, and, and probably in a lot of ways we're going to see, they maybe have felt like, oh, the bad guys won again because Paul's in prison. And one of the things that Paul's going to do through this letter is he's saying, God, God is winning here. And, and just because God has allowed me to be put in prison, guys, don't look at that as a negative. You've got to understand that that. Because I'm in prison, there are people that God is connecting to me that's hearing about Jesus Christ that wouldn't have heard about Jesus Christ had I not been in this situation. And, and, and they are seeing the reality of the power of Jesus Christ in a person's life because they are seeing that through me, as I rely and depend upon the Lord, I can be a prisoner and yet I can still be encouraging them. And they're probably scratching their head going, if I was in your place, Paul, I certainly wouldn't be in a place where I'm trying to encourage anybody. I'd be having a pity party for myself. How are you able to do that, Paul? And then it opens up the door for Paul or for any of us if we allow God to work that way through our lives where we can share the power and the reality of Christ in our life. Because again, it's not about our circumstances. It's about Christ. And Christ is always there and we're always connected with him. That's the eternal reality. So Paul says, From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to point this out in the first verse. 
you'll notice that Paul reminds the Ephesians that being an apostle of Jesus Christ and, and being commissioned by Jesus Christ to go throughout the known world, especially to the Gentiles, and share Jesus Christ with them, that this wasn't something that Paul cooked up in his own head, in his own mind, in his own imagination. That he was an apostle by the will of God. And that knowing that he was in the will of God, doing what God had called him to do, was a huge, sustaining factor in his life. When he would meet bad times. When he would meet opposition and obstacles. When he would be thrown in prison. Because he knew... I'm just a servant of the Lord and I'm just doing what God has called me to do. And, 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 if, and if God wants me to be in prison sharing the message of Jesus Christ now, so be it. And that's what sustained Paul was knowing that he was in the will of God. Folks, one of the greatest things that will sustain our life as a follower of Jesus Christ is when we know that we're in the will of God. When we know that we're doing what God is calling us to do in the place God wants us to do it, and we're doing it the way God wants us to do it, that is a huge sustaining factor. And you'll notice it's not that God says, hey, when you're doing my will, everything's going to go okay. You'll never have a bad day. You'll never meet any opposition or obstacles. You know, you'll never be thrown into prison. You'll never suffer for your faith. No, God never promises that at all. But that's the cool thing, that on the good days, great, but on the bad days, and those bad days are going to come as we serve the Lord and as we try to live for Him, just knowing that I'm where God wants me, doing what God wants me to do at that moment, in the way God wants me to do it, is going to be able to sustain me in the most difficult days of my life, just as it did Paul. Because I can go back and always remind myself and encourage myself, I'm just doing what God wants me to do. And knowing that also reminds us that God then keeps giving us the grace and strength and power we need to keep on keeping on and keep on moving forward even when things sometimes are very difficult in our lives. An apostle by the will of God. Notice who he's writing to. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. First of all, the word saint just means set apart one. And when we become a follower of Christ, the Bible teaches we are set apart from sin and from this world system that is anti-God, and we are set apart to God and to His service and to whatever He asks us to do. In fact, when Paul met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus as he was heading there to arrest Christians and throw them into prison... When, when finally he, the light bulb came on and he realized that Jesus Christ, who he had been persecuting through his church, was truly the Lord God, the first thing that Paul said is, Lord, what do you want me to do? If you are the Lord, then whatever, Lord, I'm, I'm here at your service. And Jesus, at that moment even, early on said, Paul, you're going to have to suffer many things for the cause of Christ but I'll be with you every step of the way. So he's writing to the saints in Ephesus, and we've talked a little bit about Ephesus, and the faithful in Christ Jesus. A couple things. First of all, I don't know about you, but I've always wanted to be able to be in two places at the same time. We could get so much more done that way. 
Not necessarily, you know, the whole clone thing, but it sure would be nice to have multiple Jeffs so that I could get so much more done in my day. Because I just never seem to have enough time to do everything that needs to be done. One of the cool things about being a follower of Jesus Christ that Paul reminds the Ephesian Christians of is that all Christians are always in two places at the same time. Because we're always in a physical place. We're in Chandler, we're in Gilbert, we're in Ahwatukee, we're in Mesa, we're in Ephesus. But we're also always in a spiritual sphere. We're always, as a Christian, notice, in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying to the Ephesian Christians, you realize that you are always in vital union with Jesus Christ. And in fact, the more we are in vital union with Christ, drawing our strength and sustenance and nourishment and refreshment from Him the more faithful we will be. Because our faithfulness as a Christian is going to be tied to our vital union with Christ. I think that's why Jesus said in John chapter 15 to his followers, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you as a branch are getting nourishment from the vine and you're looking to the vine, then you're going to bear fruit. In fact, you're going to bear much fruit. As long as you keep gaining what you need to gain From me, I'm the true vine, you are the branches. As long as we stay in vital union with Christ and stay connected to Him throughout our lives and keep growing, our faithfulness is also going to increase. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul joins a common Greek greeting, grace, and a common Hebrew greeting, peace or shalom, and he adapts this greeting of the Greek and Hebrew worlds into a most meaningful Christian expression. And when you find this expression throughout Paul's letters especially, grace always comes first, and then peace. And the reason that's important is because I truly cannot experience the peace with God and the peace of God until I am willing to embrace His grace. And let's remember that God's grace is that supernatural enablement and power that He wants to pour out into our lives every day. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, By the grace of God I am what I am. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul could say, You know, God, I've asked you to take away this thorn in the flesh three times. And God responds, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect, Paul, in your weakness. So God's grace is amazing. It's wonderful. And if we embrace the grace of God in our lives on a daily basis, we truly will experience one of the byproducts of that, which is God's peace that he wants us to have. And the world is looking for peace today. Not just a physical peace, but they're looking for a tranquility of mind. And they're searching for it in this world in so many different ways. And that peace is available to them if they will just open up their lives to God's grace. Now we get to verse 3. Let's look at that verse again. Paul says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. From verse 3 through verse 14, 
is one sentence in the Greek language. You want to talk about a run-on sentence. We've got any English teachers here, whatever, you guys are going, oh my goodness, I can't believe Paul did it. Spiritual man, but man, that's a long sentence. It is, and yet it's all one continuous thought. Because what I want to point out, again, sort of by way of introduction, how you can sort of break this down and make it a little bit more manageable, is that there's three stanzas, if you will, to this passage of Scripture. And Paul is picking out a different person of the Trinity to lift up and give praise to for their role in our lives. Obviously, in verse 3, down through verse 6, Paul is lifting up the ministry of God the Father and saying, what a great Father we have as God. And here's what God the Father is doing in our lives and has done for us as a follower of Jesus Christ. Then, at, in verse 6, notice, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Then in verse 6, he transitions. Now he begins to talk about the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. And he talks about all the great things that God the Son has done for us and is doing for us, down through verse 12. And then you'll notice the repetition of this phrase again at the end of verse 12, to the praise of His glory. And then in verse 13 and 14, He talks about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. And in verse 13 and 14, He tells us just a little bit about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And notice at the end of verse 14, He now repeats that very same phrase, to the praise of His glory. And so that's how we can break down this very long sentence in the Greek language and we begin to understand what Paul is doing here is he wants us to focus first of all on God the Father, then God the Son, and then God the Holy Spirit and see the role that all three play in our lives and all the wonderful blessings that come to us through our relationship with God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The first thing, back to verse 3, is this. When God looks at His church, His people, one of the things He wants to see is an acknowledgement that we are a blessed people. That, that we live our lives knowing just how blessed we are. That's why notice in verse 3, he says, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. You see, God wants His people to acknowledge and realize and appreciate just how blessed we are. He wants a group of believers to gather together and to come together and, and to be a testimony to the world of just how blessed it is to be a Christian. And yet, think, think about this. And this is convicting to all of us at times. How many of us sometimes gather together as Christians and all we do is complain and gripe and grumble? And God says, man, Really? Don't you, don't you remember how blessed you are? 
And in fact, Paul says we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Again, there were a lot of people maybe in Ephesus. Wow, they had the temple of Diana and they were part of this big city and all the movers and shakers of the ancient world were coming in and out of Ephesus and it was the happening place. It was the place to be. What do we Christians have? Paul says, what do you have? You and I have every spiritual blessing in heaven. Oh, no. There may be people in Ephesus hearing about Paul. Oh, Paul, yeah, that follower of Christ, he's a prisoner. He's in chains in Rome. What's his God doing for him? Is that what, it, is that what you get when you become a follower of Jesus Christ? You get thrown into prison? Oh, wow, they want to make me a follower of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, guys, let's keep our eyes on where they need to be kept on. It's not about all that we accumulate in the status and position and power and everything that we accumulate on earth. It's about eternity. And that's where we need to keep our focus. And God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places so that we never have to worry about our town being a, becoming a pile of rubble, or the great temple that we worship in becoming something that 800 years later people don't even remember. No, what we have in Christ is going to be something that we can enjoy and profit from and learn from and grow in and go throughout forever with. And Paul says, let's keep that in mind. Do we consider ourselves a blessed people? Because let's face it, if we don't acknowledge and consider ourselves blessed, then we're not going to probably turn around and be a blessing to others. And the principle in the Bible is that God blesses us so that we can in turn be a conduit, a channel of blessing to others, and in turn also bless God. And if I don't feel blessed by God, then I'm not going to really worship and praise and acknowledge Him and appreciate Him with the way I live my life and lifting up my voice and singing to Him and all that, I'm going to be thinking about the things that God hasn't done for me. I'm going to be thinking about the things I wish I had rather than acknowledging all that I do have in Christ that can never be taken away from me because they're locked away in heaven where I can enjoy them forever and where they will be there forever. So that's why it's very important that when we start talking about what defines a church from God's perspective, it's a group of people who come together and begin to realize just how blessed we are. Hope you feel blessed tonight. Just to know Jesus Christ. Just to know that the God of the universe loves you so much and, and that He wanted to have a relationship with you and I. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel pretty special, pretty valuable, pretty blessed. And then to realize that then I need to take that acknowledgement of being blessed and turn it back around and be willing to live a life that blesses God and gives Him praise and also live a life that becomes a blessing to others. So that as God blesses me, it just flows out of me through others and to others. Notice also in verse 4, 
Paul says, For He, God the Father, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. First of all, Paul is saying to all the Christians in Ephesus and to us, we were not an afterthought to God. We were on God's mind and we were in God's plan and we were a priority from God even before God created the world. Wow. And I know it's hard for us as human beings with such finite minds to wrap our minds around this, but I'm just going to use myself as an example. You can certainly insert your name there. That before Genesis 1-1, that, that in the transcendence and wisdom and omniscience of God, that God looked down the quarters of time, and before He ever created even the first human being, way back there, God looked down the quarters of time and saw one day that Jeff Royce was going to be born in Cumberland, Maryland in 1961, and God was going to reach out to Jeff and try to draw Jeff Royce to a personal relationship with him. Folks, remember that. And, and if God thought that much of all of us to think about wanting to have a relationship with us, even before the foundation of the world, do you and I not think that He cares about every detail of our lives? Yes, He does. I, I don't know what most of you are dealing with in your life, what you're going through, what you're struggling with right now. But I know this for sure. God cares about it because God cares about you. And before He ever created the world, we were on His mind. And notice, His plan was all about creating this vital union between human beings and Christ. That's why Paul says in verse 4, He chose us in Christ. He, looking down the quarter of time, wanted to bring us into union with the Son. And notice the purpose here. That we may be holy and unblemished in His sight in love. You see, His purpose was to secure persons whose lives would demonstrate God's power in overcoming sin, which ultimately produced a selfless love. In Ephesus, Ephesus was a city of unbelievable and unbridled immorality and impurity. The temple of Diana that people would flock to all over the world to, to come to, was nothing more than a temple filled with temple prostitutes where, where sex was used as part of, of religion that, that broke up homes and destroyed people's lives. And Ephesus was filled with all of this. And God said, my plan for my people was when they came into vital union with Christ, that they would experience a power to help them not live on that plane, but to live on this plane. And, and for them to be able to see that my power can pulsate through their being, to be able to help them to overcome sin so that we are not slaves to sin. Of course, we talked about that throughout our study of the book of Romans. Because here's the reality for all of us. If sin has a grip on our life, it's going to be all about us. That's why I think it's very interesting that the, the middle letter in the word sin is I. 
Because when sin becomes dominant in our life, it's going to be all about me. And I'm going to live my life just for me, and I'm not going to care about how it affects anybody else. And again, how I can be a blessing to others, it's always going to be all about me. But when I begin to allow God's being and God's power to infiltrate my life and take over my life, I get to a point where I can begin to live selflessly. I can begin to live in love, as Paul talks about here. Real love. Godlike love. Biblical love. Not the kind of love that was going on at Ephesus that they were calling love. It wasn't love. It was lust. God says, no, when my people are in vital union with Jesus Christ, there's going to be a, a distinction there. Verse 5. Boy, time flies when... That's all right. We've got all semester. That's why I'm taking this slow. We've got till May 13th to get through Ephesians. That's right. That's what I'm thinking. He did this, God the Father, by predestining us to adoption as His sons through Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of people freak out when they see the word predestination in the Bible. Can I just tell you from my viewpoint that I believe the Bible teaches that predestination always deals with the purposes of salvation and not with who goes to heaven and who doesn't? I don't find that in my Bible. But I do find where predestination is always used as a modifier to talk about the purpose of salvation. You'll notice very clearly, you just read the sentence. He predestined us to be adopted into his family. That was what he predestined. In other words, that those who would come to Jesus Christ would, in a sense, be adopted into the family of God. Now, if you're here tonight and maybe you're, you've never experienced adoption closely. Maybe you're not adopted or you were never part of a family that adopted someone into the family. That might not mean much to you, but in Paul's day and in Paul's culture, adoption was huge. There were a lot of Roman families that, that would take children of the conquered peoples that Rome had conquered and, and, and would adopt them into their family. And the cool thing about adoption was that it gave those people all the privileges of being a naturally born Roman citizen. And they, that's pretty cool. So that I didn't have to be born a Roman citizen, but I could enjoy all the privileges of being a Roman citizen. In fact, Paul was that. That's why Paul was able to appeal to Caesar and at least be a prisoner instead of having his head lopped off at this point. Because he had Roman citizenship and it gave him the privilege of being able to appeal to Caesar and say, Caesar, could you take a look at my case? I think I got a point here. Because even though Paul was born a Jew, he was able to obtain Roman citizenship. And that meant something. And it's a beautiful picture of all of us who've accepted Christ as our Savior. That God is basically saying, long before the foundation of the world, the thing that I predestined, the thing that I saw in my mind, was I saw me just adopting all of you in Christ into the family of God. And treating you as if you were always in my family. 
and giving you the same privileges of being in the family of God. Wow, really? You see, to say a Jewish boy or girl that was adopted into a Roman family, to have all the privileges of being a Roman citizen, wow, talk about a blessing. And you and I sometimes, I think, forget about just how blessed it is to be a part of God's family and, and to know that God loved me enough that He looked down and wanted to adopt me. Say, come on, let's come in and let your Father adopt you. I'll tell you, every year, I don't know why I watch it, because it always brings tears to my eyes, but around Christmas, they always have that show that Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's, who was adopted, as a child, he started the Dave Thomas Foundation, and every year around Christmas time, they have that special about adopting children and stuff on television. I tell you, I can't watch that thing without just the tears streaming down my eyes about the stories of these children who are brought into a, a family where these kids, nobody wanted them for years, and finally they found a mom and a dad who said, I want you. In fact, even the parents, the tears are streaming down their face. They're saying, as soon as I saw so-and-so, they were my son. They were my daughter. And, and it was so cool because like this past year, the one father was relaying. He says, the girl that we had just adopted come up and her first words was, Dad. It just blew him away. It just brought him to tears. There was just that... Just wonderful love there of knowing you're in our family now. But let me also say this. We've also got to look at the other side for just a moment because it's important. All the privileges of being a Roman citizen were cool. But let's not forget there was also responsibilities as well. Just like being adopted into a family. There's great privileges of being adopted and being able to have all the privileges and enjoy all the privileges that that family and maybe their natural born children have always enjoyed. That's great. But there's responsibilities along with that. And part of the responsibility is to live as a blessed people and to live as, as a holy people. A people that are distinct from those around them. Unblemished in His sight, in love. You see, if God is defining the church and He's looking down on, on the church as, as He wants to see it defined, it's going to be a group of people who are acknowledging that they are blessed, who are praising and worshiping Him and living a life of praise and worship to Him. It's going to be a group of people who are distinct from the culture that does not know God around them. And it's going to be a group of people who are loving God and loving each other. And are living a life of selflessness because they've allowed God to come into their life and just take over their life. And so he ends this in verse 5 by saying he's adopted us as sons through Jesus Christ according to the pleasure of his will. Just what Lynn talked about Sunday. The only way I'm adopted into the family of God is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way I can be adopted into the family of God, you see. Only through Jesus Christ, according to the pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace that He has freely bestowed on us 
and His dearly loved Son. Paul is saying that the church needs to realize that that this grace that God has bestowed upon us is the greatest display of grace conceivable. For it bestows upon humans the glorious privileges of being part of God's family. And it's not like we deserved it, but God gave it to us anyway. And this bestowal is all one-sided. It's not like I come to God and we start bartering and say, Okay, God, you give me what you got. I'll give you what I got. I got nothing. God had it all. And God said, I'm willing to share it all with you. Wow. Incredible, incredible, incredible truth. I want to say this. My son and I were talking a little bit about this today. God the Father gets a bad rap. A lot of people are ooey-gooey about God the Holy Spirit. And of course, God the Son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for me, whatever. But when they begin to think about God the Father, they get this view of God the Father as being this you know, wrathful, angry, you know, God. And, and if it wouldn't be for God the Holy Spirit and God the Son, man, God the Father sort of scares me. I think one of the cool things that Paul's trying to do here is dispel a lot of that untruth and remind us here and many other places in the Bible that God the Father loves us just as much as God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and that God the Father has done just as much for us as God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, and that God the Father deserves just as much praise and worship as we give to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And we begin to see that here as Paul unveils the blessings that come through a vital union with God through Jesus Christ. Next week we'll pick it up in verse 6, but I want to open it up for a few moments before we end tonight to questions. Comments? When did, um, I was brought up uh, Catholic and uh, converted years ago to uh, Baptist. Christian, I'm a Christian. I prefer there to go a Baptist church. Let me change that. Um, but it used to be Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost is what we referred to it always as growing up. And then as I became you know, my walk was <laughs> more deep. I, it changed to the Holy Spirit, and I wanted to know what changed. How did that change in the Bible or, or the terminology? Why is it now the Spirit and not that, ghost? That is a great question, and I think it will. I think my answer will be helpful to a lot of folks in here. The Bible was written primarily, primarily in two languages: the Old Testament in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. And when men wanted to faithfully translate, obviously say in that instance the Greek language, they were looking for an English equivalent of that Greek word. And to people that began translating the Bible hundreds of years ago, for them the word ghost was appropriate because it was spirit. It was not material. Well, as we moved on, the word ghost sort of freaks some people out. Seriously. 
And so a lot of our modern translators thought, you know what, we're not doing any disservice to the translation to use the word spirit. It's the same meaning as the original Greek word. It just means the immaterial one, the one who, you know, you can't. And, And really the Bible does teach that God is spirit. He is spiritual being. And the only time that changed is when Jesus Christ, God the Son, came through His incarnation in Bethlehem and took upon Himself human flesh. And then in His grace and mercy, allows Himself to be enrobed in that human flesh, even as the second person of the Trinity, all throughout eternity. He's not limited by that, but He's allowing us then to sort of get a visual on God that we'll never really get with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit because they're spirit. So, good question. It's, it's what I would call a way that we have progressed in our translation. And, and there's a lot of people, like I said, back in, say, 15, 1600s, the King James Bible, Holy Ghost, they were okay with that. That didn't, that didn't like, ooh. But today, like, you know, you, ghost, that's, that's a, I don't like ghost. Ghosts are a negative, you know. So I think that, that modern translators thought, you know, a better choice for that, but to not do anything to the meaning, let's say Holy Spirit rather than Holy Ghost. Good question. Gee, I only took ten minutes to answer that very simple question. Sorry about that. One more. Anyone else? I can't see. My bald head gets that, man, reflection. By the way, while I have a moment, I said I would do this. I want to say hi to all of you who are listening on our podcasts out there. We've got people, folks, all over the country who check into the mine and listen to these webcasts. So I, I was challenged by a couple of them from other states saying, you need to acknowledge us out there even though we're not physically there on Tuesday night. I'm acknowledging you. Hi. Yeah. Thank you for listening in every week. Hey, real quickly, before we close in prayer, let me just throw this out. Because some of you, and I only do this because in a church this size, there's so much going on. And I run into a lot of people and they go, well, I would have been there had I known. Okay, and it's hard sometimes to keep the information flowing. So I'm going to use the mind sometimes as sort of a way to just help you to say, I'm over here teaching that if you're interested, over here teaching that if you're interested. All right, so that's what I'm doing tonight again. Last Sunday, I began a study in the book of Ruth at 830 in room A104. We're only into the second week. It will probably go for several months. The book of Ruth is one of my favorite Old Testament books. It's a book that helps us to learn how to move past the disappointments and pain and heartache that we've experienced in our life. If you'd like to be a part of that study, I'd love to have you come at 830. Come there and then come to the 10 o'clock service. Beginning this Sunday, and many of you have seen the advertisement for this class the last couple weeks, and you will see it again in the bulletin this week. Beginning at 11.30, this Sunday in room A104, I'm beginning an eight-week series in the Old Testament book of Jonah, looking at the God of second chances. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I know a God who can give you a second chance. In fact, for Jeff Royce, it's probably the God of the billionth chance. 
All right? And we're going to look at all that, what that means to us and, and what that meant to Jonah to know a God of the second chances. That series will begin this Sunday, 1130, right again over here in room A104. For any of you gals who are interested, and you'll hear about this through our women's ministry, our women's ministry Bible studies are all starting back up. And if you're not a part of one, I would encourage you to be a part of any of those women's Bible studies that they offer. The one that I'm particularly inviting you to is every Wednesday morning, beginning on Wednesday, January the 23rd, I teach a couple hundred women in the student center, and this semester we're going through the book of 1 Peter. I think it's going to be a great study, and if, if, as a gal here tonight, if, if you want to be part of another Bible study during the week and you would love to come Wednesday morning and go through 1 Peter with us on Wednesday morning, we certainly would love to have you. I know several gals who come on Tuesday night and then come back Wednesday morning and then go to therapy Wednesday afternoon. Because I'm like, after hearing me twice that close together, that's... But anyway, but if you'd like to be a part of that study, we would love to have you too. Yes. For the Wednesday morning, yes, there is child care available for gals who want to be a part of that. Just sign up. Yes, you need to register soon, so I guess go to the... Oh, there you go. Go online. There you go. All right. Guys, we're going to have a great time going through the book of Ephesians. I hope tonight has been an encouragement to you. Let's pray, and then I'll let you guys go. We broke another attendance record tonight. Almost 400 people here tonight. Yeah. Just shy of 400. Wow. Well, let's start moving past 400. Let's go towards 500. That's what I got to say. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your blessings. God, as, as we come before you, if, if we just would take a moment to just realize just how blessed we are, God, I just pray that we would take that time. That as Christians, we're so busy that so often we forget as your adopted children into your precious family that we forget just how blessed we are. God, I pray that we would leave here tonight acknowledging that blessing, realize that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms, that you held nothing back, including your own dear Son. You lavished on us your very best. And God, I just pray that as we leave here, we would just that within our hearts and minds would well up just an unbelievable appreciation for what we have in Christ. And that that would make a difference in the way we even live. And that, God, we would just commit ourselves to growing this year and just making 2008 the best year we've ever had with you. God, thank you for this wonderful group of people here tonight. And just excite us about what you're going to do in our lives through this next year. Bring us all back next week with a few more people as well. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I love you. Have a great week. See you back here next Tuesday.